I'm your host, David Cameo, and we are Squawking Dead, a podcast pulverizing episodes of the Walking Dead universe, but not today. Today, we're Better Squawk Saul, covering Better Call Saul's sixth and final season. And today, we're talking about its fifth episode, titled Black and Blue. Included in this podcast are both the reaction and full episode breakdowns, as they were recorded for YouTube a while ago. And if you'd like to get those recordings now, you could always subscribe to our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash squawkingdead. We do have an episode playlist, that, which includes all the episodes up until the mid-season finale titled Plan and Execution. That's episode seven. We hope you consider doing that because that actually helps our visibility also. And you may even get the premieres earlier than the audio podcast. And it's also a fun way to see our lovely little faces and see some little extra on-screen elements. Without further ado, here is the reaction to Black and Blue. So what did you guys think? That was tense. Yes, I was so worried for a character I know very little about. I was like, no. And the dog. Yes. Yeah, I was mostly worried for the dog. Yeah, right? Kill all the Fred Whalens you want. Just leave the dog alone. <laughs> I don't even know how to feel after that. Finally was able to look up the German to English translation. What was it? Love your boys. Okay. That's really sweet. Yeah. So I guess it was a gift from the guys to the yeah. wife? Well, to in Warner, memory, probably. like in probably. honor of, yeah. My takeaway was they gave it to, to Warner. Oh, like before. That, that was something he had in his office. Yeah. Mm. Oh, that's true. That's true. I don't want to wax philosophical too much on it now. Let, let's save that for the prime time. The boxing thing felt a little weird. It was super. What was that? Come box me. I thought there was going to be like yeah. something more to it. Like he was trying to like get jimmy's blood to like match it to <laughs> yeah, something like to prove he did something <laughs> yeah I'm like where's this going like or just he just wanted an excuse to beat the shit out of him like he said <laughs> i don't know it was so weird i'm gonna have to i mean i'm definitely gonna have to watch this again to really get a grip on it because we did watch it in a weird a weird manner tonight <laughs> Uh, maybe it was to get his DNA. I don't know. Maybe he wants to compare it to DNA found in the, in the car so you can prove he was in the car. No, he already knows. So like, it doesn't make any sense. Yeah, it, Sherry, I think you're right, though. I, I think they meant for Howard to catch them, or they, at the very least, knew he would eventually find out because that was so fake. Jimmy was putting on a show for him. Mm -hmm. He definitely didn't seem upset or worried in any way. No. And I'm pretty sure he told Kim because how else did he explain away the fucking Shiner? I mean, I know we didn't see that, but I'm but pretty he, sure he told her about it. Well, he says in the when he's laying down, like, how did I get sucked into his game? Right, so, like, right, he, right. He clearly shared it with right. her. And they don't seem concerned at all that he knows. So I'm pretty sure that must be part of their plan. Plus, mm -hmm. they're not stupid. No. They know Howard's not stupid. Okay, as soon as the song started playing at the beginning and it was in German, I was like, oh... <laughs> Charity was right. Lalo's going to Germany. Finally, I got something right. <laughs> so you nailed it. Yeah, good job. Good, good job. You called it. <laughs> yeah. It was, a, it was a very weird opening. <laughs> it was unusual. I have to balk at the eight minutes of watching Gus walk around the unfinished lab. We didn't need to see that much of it it, it really um, <laughs> it was like a time stretcher like for real like i know they like to do their montages and stuff but that was just too much of that i was getting bored like my mind was wandering i don't even remember like everything he was doing because it was almost like an f you to the fans like uh, you thought you were gonna get walt and jesse didn't you well, <laughs> fuck you you're getting this this underground <laughs> punker. <laughs> like, we only have so many minutes of this show left. Please don't waste eight of it with Gus walking around. Right. right. Well, he, he hid that gun. So clearly that's going to come into play later. Yeah. But. This whole episode, there was a lot of visual elements to it. Long stretches with no dialogue where we just had to like mm -hmm. watch what was happening. 
I like that though. They're very good at making it interesting. This was just one of those times when it didn't really land with me. There were a lot of number things going on too. Like the boxing place was 1512, which, you know, we something like that. Yeah. And then Gus's house is 1213. Marguerite's house is number 68. Howard's keys were 618. I don't know if they're going to mean anything, but this show's taught me to pay attention to numbers. <laughs> Especially like I pay attention to everything. The ending was yeah. just so fucking tense. It kind of wiped everything out of my out of my mind. But it was good to see Lalo again, kind of, except he's so fucking scary. He's looking good though. <laughs> <laughs> right. I mean, <laughs> Werner's wife fell for that hook, line, and sinker. <laughs> she was she was yep. ready, but it was too soon. It was too soon. I was like, good move, lady. Good move. I know. I was like, oh, God, not please, not <laughs> please, please don't let this happen. <laughs> I like that he left, though, because I feel like he liked her, not in like a sexual way, but there was something about that mm-hmm. conversation that seemed really genuine. He like enjoyed having a talk with her. And we now know Lalo likes dogs. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. So he's not like a total psychopath. That's good. What? One redeeming quality. (laughs) This is moving along kind of slowly. So I'm really wondering how we're going to time jump for three and a half years. Might just be like one big one. How many episodes are in this season? 13 total. 13. They're they're doing seven the first half and six the second half. Just trying to keep track of like where we are. I might go back and watch the Negro y Azul and see if there's any parallels between the two episodes. Negro Azul may have been one of the ones where Jesse got the shit beat out of him, which happened often. Poor Jesse. Those tense last few minutes just get you. Everything else is gone. It's like when Nacho died. It wipes the entire rest of the episode uh, out of your head. You're like, forget everything else. The meeting between Howard and Cliff. I know oh, what you did. I felt so bad for Howard because he's like, what? what? I have no idea what you're talking about, you know? And we know it's true. <laughs> But I love how quickly he put it together. Who were you having lunch with? Yeah. Oh, yeah, that was right. great. That was amazing. It was as soon amazing. as he asked that, I'm like, oh, shit. Yeah. There yeah. it is. There it is. Mm-hmm. I don't, I have a problem, but it's not what you think. It's a Jimmy <laughs> problem. <laughs> I guess we'll say goodnight because I have to get up and go to work in the morning at 5.30. So. Yeah. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that. Good night, everybody. <laughs> good night, Gracie. Good night. Good night, Jasmine. <laughs> good night, Jasmine. <laughs> We're glad you enjoyed the reaction to that episode. And now for the full episode breakdown of Better Call Saul's fifth episode of season six, the final season, titled Black and Blue. Hi, I'm Bridget. Did you know that you have rights? The Constitution says you do, and so do I. I believe, until proven otherwise, every man, woman, and child should hear this podcast. And that's why we talk to you, Internet. Better Squawk Saul. Dave, you're giving me responsibilities. What are you doing? (laughs) He's like, hashtag believe in charity. I was like, shut up. (laughs) <laughs> hey everybody, I'm Charity Blazy Gardner, and we are here today to cover Better Call Saul Season 6, Episode 5, Black and Blue. With me is Cosmo Mom 9 Rachel Burt, and Bridget. I don't remember your damn socials. I'll, you can say them or whatever. Uh, ain't my first radio on Instagram and X Prophecy Girl on Twitter. Ah, there, there we go. go. Alright, alright. And Bridget. <laughs> That was awesome. <laughs> <laughs> I panicked. <laughs> I panicked. The introduction was enough, you know? People are like, I've... No thanks. Uh-huh. I've yeah, seen, we know who you I've are. seen uh-huh. enough of that we know girl. Who you are. So tonight's episode is called Black and Blue. There was also, of course, another episode on Breaking Bad called Negro y Azul, which translates to Black and Blue. I did not have time to go back and watch it. Well, that's not true. I did have time. I was too lazy to go back and watch it. So I don't really know if there's any connections between the two episodes, but from what in the synopsis I read, I, I don't remember there being anything in particular to draw them together other than the title. And they didn't say anything about the about it in the insider either. So let's talk about the opener, which was kind of weird when you were watching it the first time. Like, what is going on here? 
is this some kind of weird drug thing that they're measuring <laughs> or what what's going on so it was confirmed in the insider podcast that it was a gift to marguerite from warner's boys so i don't remember which one of you said that last week but you were correct and i was wrong after i thought about it a little bit i thought trying to figure out why it was so significant and then i realized that there's a label on it that was also confirmed on insider podcast that he is going to trace down the label what i liked about the opener was four out of five openers have not had an actual character in them the other thing i like is it's a mystery it's kind of like nachos it's a mystery when you watch it but then when you get to the end you you realize exactly what the significance of it was the song i found it online me too (laughs) and Basically, I have I have the lyrics here, but basically it's a eulogy for Warner. In the quiet night at the first watch, a voice begins to lament. Sweetly and gently, the night wind carried me to its sound. And from such bitter sorrow and grief, my heart has melted. The little flowers with my pure tears, I have watered them off. There's another verse, but it's kind of the same gist. I do really it's like the, the last two for. lines of it, though. Even the wild beasts grieve with me in rocks and ravines. Aww. Yeah, that was it's pretty. When you know the lyrics and then you listen to it, it's it's really it's really pretty. But it is stuck in my head now. <laughs> they need to take Michael Mando's name out of the credits or show his face on screen because I'm getting really really sick and tired of dealing with this. <laughs> you need to cut out a little strip of cardboard and place it over where they yeah. put the credits at the beginning and when the credits are over then you can take it down yep. just so i don't see his name <sighs> giving me this false hope if you notice the clock it says 317 but what it actually says is lie l-i-e because the Ooh. 317 is reflected on the table damn i so, missed that beautiful beautiful damn. <laughs> oh they're so good so damn. do you think she is laying awake because she's worried about Lalo, or does she feel bad that she's lying to Jimmy? I feel like the uh, putting the chair in front of the door meant that she was worried about Lalo. I don't know that she feels bad about lying to Jimmy. Yeah, I'm also going to go with the Lalo theory, because she was, like, looking outside and being all suspect, and, like, I think she's I think she's a little paranoid, yeah. Jimmy gives her an opportunity to, like, tell him, and she still doesn't, so... She, she must not feel too bad. <laughs> I also kind of felt like when Jimmy tells her, I'm glad he's dead. Like, I feel like maybe she was on the verge. Like, she was maybe going to tell him. That's why. I mean, maybe that was why she was sitting up. She's worried about Lalo, but she's also feeling bad because, like, should I tell Jimmy? Should I not tell Jimmy? And then he comes out and, and sits down with her. He says, you know, I'm glad he's dead. And I feel like that kind of validated her to her that she shouldn't tell him because he wouldn't be able to handle it. Mm-hmm. And that's when she got up and took the chair back down and put the humidifier back and went about her night like, you know, like it was normal. Mm-hmm. I don't know why, yeah. but like, that's so normal to have like something not belonging on a chair on a chair. <laughs> but it really bugged me. Like in the scene, I was like, I was like, what the fuck are you doing? Get that out of there. This is a TV set. This is supposed to make me feel bad about how my house looks. This is like a weird thing I would do in my house. Like, I need it at this exact height. Do you think she's right that he's weak and he won't be able to handle it? Or do you think she should tell him? Man. Oh, that's tough. That's a really tough question. I know. I want to say, no, I don't think she should tell him, but not because I think he's weak, but... Because I think he's almost safer not knowing. I really don't think Lalo's coming after either one of them. And Mike didn't even really seem to to think he was either. It was more of just a precaution to keep an eye on them. So I think it keeps Jimmy safer that he doesn't know. I don't think he would freak out or anything, but I think he would maybe not the level of paranoia that Gus is at. But I don't see him like freaking out, but I see him doing something. He would do something. Yeah, he would do something, but I don't think he would freak out. And Kim knows he'd do something stupid. But I don't know what. I feel like Jimmy has to find out that Lalo's alive at some point. Because in the scene in Breaking Bad, when they're out in the desert and he says, did, La- did Lalo didn't send you? Mm-hmm. He obviously must think that Lalo is still alive. So he has to find out at some point that Lalo is, is still alive. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Maybe Lalo gets arrested. Yeah, it could be. I mean, maybe he gets arrested trying to come back from Germany. Mm-hmm. I mean, it doesn't mean he couldn't still be trying to run things. So the next scene is Gus in the, in the restaurant. He's doing paperwork and... He obviously looks like he's very anxious. 
and um, he goes out to take an order. As he was walking through the kitchen, I was like, I wonder which of these is Mike's security plant. I kept mm. thinking about that, too. I was like, who isn't doing something that they're supposed to be doing? Or like, <laughs> who's looking sloppy right now? <laughs> they all looked fairly adequate to me. He didn't seem upset with anybody. So whoever it was must have been doing OK. Whoever replaced Roy. So <laughs> he, he goes up to take an order. Did you guys notice Lyle? Lyle standing in the yeah. middle of Yes, sir. Everything's under control, sir. Yes, he does like the little <laughs> nod. <laughs> oh, I, I like Lyle. Yeah, he's obviously over uh, Gus making him scrub the fryer <laughs> over yeah. and over again. He must pay his employees really well. <laughs> he goes out to take an order from the customer. And I just want to point out this dude ordered a 12-piece spicy with two spicy curly fries larges. Like, dude, just get a snack. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I was like, they didn't ask him if he was taking this to go or not. Like, is this guy eating a 12-piece here? That's all I kept thinking about. I was like, I would be so pissed if I was ordering and the person was just like, off to the side. Like, just not not looking at me. Like, like they were having some sort of like, like Vietnam flashback or something. A thousand yards, a thousand yards there. (laughs) Excuse me, I'm talking to you. Are you getting this? <laughs> what it reminded me of was the very first scene in, in Better Call Saul when we see Gene at the um, Cinnabon and he is looking off in the distance and looking weird and he thinks he sees somebody watching him and he's freaking out and then the guy comes walking at him and he just walks past and I that kind of gave me the same vibe in the mm-hmm. scene. Like mm-hmm. it, He was just freaking out until somebody snapped him out of it. I wondered if the guy who dropped the pans was Mike Scott. <laughs> like, yeah, as soon oh as the gosh. pants dropped, I was like, is that Mike's guy? There's Mike's guy. <laughs> there he is. <laughs> He's obviously paranoid. Like you said, the thousand yard stare. I don't know if he saw someone or something. He's kind of having his own version of a freak out. We don't see it, but I think on the inside, he's mm-hmm. raging for sure. The more calm he appears, <laughs> the more fire is inside. Actually, the first time I, re- I watched it, I, like, remembered that scene and I thought it was kind of weird. And then when we did our, like, reaction, I had completely forgotten about it. It had just been, like, a blip that had disappeared in everything else that had happened. And so when I saw it for the second time during the rewatch, I was like, what is this? What? Who is this for? Like, who is this? Like, what is this scene? And I know it's supposed to show, like, that he's becoming more paranoid and unhinged but like i feel like i already know that it felt a little over the top to me but i get they're really trying to make it seem like this guy's really struggling right now but then he does that furious walk out to the parking lot (laughs) and looks up at the sign and then it just cuts and i was like what was that yeah I was, was staring weird. at the sign up during my during my second watch, and I'm like, "Is there something on there? Like, did someone put, draw a penis up there or something? Like, what what am I missing?" <laughs> There's like a bird pooped on it, and he's just like yeah. furious that it's dirty. Yeah. <laughs> if you pair it with when he goes down into the lab, when he runs out of the building, I think it's because he's like, you know what? Fuck this. I'm tired of hiding. I'm tired of feeling like I'm afraid. I'm tired of wearing this fucking gun. I'm tired of doing this shit. So he runs out and he's like, you know what? Come fucking get me, assholes. Hmm. And pair that with the next scene where he's hiding the gun in the lab. I think he's to the point where he wants to try to draw Lalo down into the lab. And I have this vision of the super lab with Lalo buried in the foundation, which is (laughs) very fun to think about. Oh, my God. Oh, could you even imagine? He kind of hit. A breaking point in the restaurant and then he was just like fuck this i'm done and that was kind of him running outside to be like i'm just fucking done well he looked pissed yeah. so <laughs> so that makes yeah. sense <laughs> well i mean as pissed as gus can look gus gets <laughs> <laughs> cliff and howard at sandpiper with aaron aaron explaining discovery <laughs> to the folks Oh my gosh. Oh my dear Sally. <laughs> did you did you guys get the vibe? Okay, so like I felt like there was a vibe between Aaron and Howard. I think Aaron is like into Howard. Mm. I think she's got like a crush on teacher kind of thing going on. I mean, why wouldn't she? He's 
the big boss man of mm. his own firm. He's probably mm-hmm. everything she wants to be. Including a druggie. I'm just <laughs> <laughs> it's so clear that Jimmy and Kim's plan has worked on Cliff. He is watching everything Howard does. Because he's had the experience with someone who had a drug problem, everything Howard does looks to him like a symptom of drug use. Just <laughs> bouncing his leg. And, you you know, moved being, your leg, you're on drugs. Being buoyant. <laughs> 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 and um i mean i love that cliff is so support so supportive of him and like i hope you will help you get all the help you need and we can start today and <laughs> howard is just like what are you talking about <laughs> i love howard's reaction he literally doesn't know what to do he's like i don't I don't even know what to say. Like, what would you say? Like, someone just comes up to you. I saw you taking a piss on on the corner of this street and that street. And you're like, that did not happen. I, what? I don't even know. It was so funny to just, oh my gosh. See, my reaction would be, when did you see that? <laughs> I have to make sure. I have to make completely sure that it was like, was this 10 years ago? Because probably... <laughs> <laughs> no, this is like three days ago, Bridget. I saw you outside, right here on my street. It's like, oh, I wasn't drinking that day, so I don't think it was me. No, but... no, no. <laughs> Howard went to Kim to tell her the things that Jimmy was doing, and her reaction was to laugh in his face, basically, and be like, I don't, that, what? Get the fuck out of here. Whereas when Cliff brought his problem to Howard, Howard's response was, thank you for bringing this to me like a friend. And I appreciate that you did this. Mm -hmm. I just thought that was a a nice little um, juxtaposition there showing you the the difference in how how Kim and Howard have kind of switched places in the morality scale on the show for us, the viewer. Yeah, I love that sound Howard makes when he finds out Cliff had lunch with Kim and he like instantly (laughs) made the connection. He's like, oh my gosh, it was so funny and so perfect <laughs> just see the light bulb go on <laughs> who did you have lunch with <laughs> yeah i love that he was able to put it together so quickly which and we talked about oblivious. like yeah yeah which is even He's like i don't know why it like, matters but it's kim <laughs> yeah <laughs> you need help like it's like no other concern <laughs> you have a real problem howard <laughs> Well, and I think part of it had to do with, like, at the beginning, we didn't have the whole story. We didn't know why Howard was so aggressively anti-Jimmy. And, you know, we come to find out that it has a lot to do with Chuck and that Howard was actually kind of in Jimmy's corner the whole time. It's been interesting now to, like, have that full picture and see, you know, he's not actually a bad guy. I'm not sure what was up with with him and Kim and why he had those moments and we've speculated on that a couple times like you know is it like a jilted lover is it like unrequited Mm. love maybe he can see through kim and he like knows that she's like well on the sketchy side so it's it's been really interesting to see that change but you know it's like any show that we watch that's like deeply dramatic it's like who's who's actually the villain because if you look at it from the other perspective Mm -hmm. it's gonna be Mm -hmm. your good guy one of the things we talk about all the time is how walter is the fucking bad guy in Breaking Bad. He yeah. is the bad guy. Yep. <laughs> you know, everybody hates Hank. Oh, Hank Schrader, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> fucking Hank. Uh, Hank was the fucking good guy in that show. I'm sorry. It's just the truth, you know? Mm-hmm. On The Insider, one of them said, if Saul created Walt and Kim created Saul, then by default, that means Kim created Walter White. And the entire Breaking Bad universe, for that matter. She's like a mm-hmm. mega villain. <laughs> Damn, Kim. I just thought that I just thought that was neat. So the next scene is Francesca coming to see Jimmy. Yay, Paul. she's back. <laughs> I loved her in when she was in season three with the, uh, two and three with them. I want to also point out that she and Saul start their relationship with him handing her a wad of money to come to work for him. And in episode four oh five, quite a ride. In the opener, which is the one that is set when they're getting all this stuff out of the office and they're getting ready to run, he hands her a big handful of cash to throw out bags of evidence. Mm-hmm. Yep, I remember before that. Before she leaves. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> I just thought that was a, a nice little a nice little parallel there that they started and ended their relationship mm-hmm. with him handing her big handfuls of money. 
Maybe <laughs> we could count that as a Breaking Bad Easter egg because it happened on Breaking Bad. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, it happened on Better Call Saul. It was in the episode of when they showed the flash forward as the opener. Oh yeah, didn't it? when oh, he, I... yeah when he when they were he was sawing the hole in the Constitution. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And um, cleaning everything out of the office. Yeah. And I also want to say that he they're very openly acknowledging their marriage now. He's like, you mean my wife? They're not even hiding it anymore. It is it is wide open for the most part. Yeah. I was happy to see her back. I love the way she handles Saul. It takes a special kind of person, I think, and she's got what it takes. <laughs> I just love her whole vibe. She just rolls up listening to Wilson Phillips or whatever. <laughs> and, like, yeah. and she's like just like frantically knocking on the door because there's some scumbag like standing like so close to her. I love that she was like all of this is weird. None of this is normal. You moved into a new office. There's a toilet right there. <laughs> you have a different name. Now you're suddenly married. What happened? And I love that she was like, where's Kim? As though Kim was like the saner part of this. <laughs> and then he's like, you mean my wife? And she's like, oh, no. <laughs> like, you're oh, bullshit. You're crazy. <laughs> so I'm happy that she's back. And I love that she's going to get paid double. <laughs> it's great. It's yes. great. When, yes. when you were saying that she was, because the, the scumbag was standing next to her, if you remember in Breaking Bad later, she is just like totally blasé about all of the fucking scumbags sitting in the office. She's behind a damn plastic panel. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and like, she changed. We talk about all the time about how these people in three and a half years go from point A to point B, like Spooge. Mm-hmm. Obviously, mm-hmm. Kim is not Wendy, so that one doesn't count. But <laughs> 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 you see Francesca and where she goes in, in the next three and a half years. Strong arming Walt for $25,000 after he breaks the door down, breaks the glass in the door. And I love that they're kind of fleshing her out in in this show because all, all we ever saw of her was, you know, the little bit in the office. So yeah. I think that I think that's great. He says Garbaggio, which is just <laughs> I was like, really? <laughs> Garbaggio like that's what we're going Jimmy makes me think like he's one of those people that says Target instead of Target which I like hate you know I can't stand that like I feel like he's one of those <laughs> one of those people and fully offense intended to anybody who's gonna be like I do that I meant to offend you. I don't care for that. Please stop doing it. Just don't do it. When Kim meets Viola at the restaurant, we realize later, of course, that she's pumping Viola for information. I thought she was going to try to hire her. I did too. But the shot of Kim reflected in the coffee cup, that was amazing. No kidding. And it made it made me think of Jurassic Park. You could see the tremors in the cup. Then later on, she's like, something's coming. I'm like, yeah, it's a big fucking dinosaur getting ready to stomp and smash all you fuckers. <laughs> what's about what's coming. Everybody's about to get eaten. I wonder how they did it then in Better Call Saul. Because in Jurassic Park, that's done with a guitar string. Because mm-hmm. yeah. that like doesn't happen normally. Had somebody under the table, funk in the table. <laughs> 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 oh, hey, Kim. <laughs> we get a wrap up on Mesa Verde and, you know, how things went down after she left. And we get an idea of what everybody thinks about her now that, now that she's gone. You know, it was a shock at first, but now everybody kind of admires what she did. As soon as she said, oh, I got transferred to the Sandpiper case. And Kim's like, oh, I think I heard that. I'm like, as you know, you heard that. That's why you're there. Like, as soon I'm like, there it is. There's the catch. I was a little mad. I was a little like, no, don't do this to sweet baby Viola. She has done nothing to you. Okay. She has just been there for you more than a normal paralegal because you like took on too much shit too fast and you like couldn't handle it. So I just, I was a little, I was a little peeved. You also have to wonder how oblivious she is because she spent a lot of time with Kim and Jimmy and she does not realize that she's getting pumped for information. Yeah. (laughs) You spend enough time with them, you should pick up some tricks. She's giving it up pretty easy too. (laughs) See, and she has a lower (laughs) IQ and she's still being manipulated. (laughs) So bogus. (laughs) Poor Viola. Oh. Uh. 
<laughs> the boxing scene, which was weird, kind of, yeah. but funny. After listening to The Insider, I, I get it a little bit more, but it's, it still was a little weird. I mentioned in, the, in our aftertake that there was some stuff going on with the numbers. I still haven't figured it out, but I will say the boxing place is 1512. That kind of ties into Chuck in a very vague way because Chuck used 1216 in the Mesa Verde case because it was one year after the Magna Carta, which was 1215. I know that's a stretch, but that was the first thing that came to mind when I was trying to figure out this number thing. Um, no, you're like, sense, I will, I will make it work. I'll make. Something. I will make it work. <laughs> Gus's house is either thirteen twelve or twelve thirteen, so like that also fits in the pattern there somewhere. But I haven't been able to figure it out yet. H O Ward, how how I didn't figure that out immediately when he was going to see Mister Ward, I don't know. Did we hear the H O part? beforehand no 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 okay no. i should have picked up on board yeah but that's a legit last name yeah it is it is it is <laughs> um they talked about it they talked about it a little bit on on the insider actually I talked about it a lot on the insider podcast one of the things that they mentioned was they managed to make it not look silly or unrealistic they weren't totally both terrible at it neither one of them were super super great like automatic all of a sudden boxing champions they were like two middle-aged dudes yeah. trying to slug it out in a boxing ring even to the point where they were like panting and bending over holding their sides and they they walked that line really well and so for yeah. that reason it did look silly <laughs> <laughs> yeah, oh, I mean, and, but they made it look. They, you were like, oh, right, like all of a sudden, yeah. you know, Bob no, Odenkirk is going to be Muhammad Ali, you know. And they made it. Uh, they made ass. it very believable, even though it was like, yeah, it was like, yep, because Jimmy would do that, because that's the kind of person he is. Where he's like, huh, huh, like at the beginning, I was just like, I can't with you. Show me shit. Show me shit. He reminded me of Popeye. Like he reminded me of Robin Williams and Popeye in the movie. <laughs> the way yeah. he was moving, doing the footwork and stuff. So Bob Odenkirk, actually, they were they were talking about how um, he had to unlearn because he had just trained for the movie Nobody. Which, if you've seen that mm -hmm. movie, it was mm -hmm. a lot of action. You wouldn't think of Bob Odenkirk as being able to get in there and throw punches and stuff, but he had just trained for this super duper action movie. Patrick Fabian is an athlete, like he's a surfer and, and bi uh, bicycler, and he's very in shape. But what really interested me is he went out afterwards to see the, the private investigator who's gonna follow Jimmy. But here's my fear Kim knows that people are following them, so she won't suspect at all that somebody's following Jimmy. <gasps> true <laughs> oh, oh shit okay see and even if saul jimmy notices and mm -hmm. says something to him she's gonna try to get him off of that by being yep. like i'm sure it's nothing uh mm -hmm. that's very concerning oh damn good catch sharon d i did like howard after he knocks jimmy the fuck out <laughs> <laughs> when he says you mistook my kindness for weakness what did you guys think about that? It was a great line. I was very happy to hear it because we've seen Howard be, I would say, patient would be the correct word to use in terms of dealing with the shenanigans of, of Jimmy and Kim. It was fair of him to be like, I am not a pushover. I know that's what you think I am because I've been patient and kind to you, but I'm not. You're not going to be able to get this past me. Now, did they account for that? I don't know. That will be interesting to see. Well, I really think that Howard catching them is part of their plan. Even Howard says it. Yeah. You didn't yeah. even bother to cover your tracks. I think they want to be caught. I think that is part of the plan because neither one of them seemed very upset at all that Howard was on to them. There was no concern Wait, there at all. They might be trying to make him look paranoid and crazy. Really, Howard? Mm, okay. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> it reminds me of Leverage. It's like a heist show, but each episode they get caught or whatever. And then it goes back and shows that that's like part of the plan. And then there's like more that happens after that. This is very much a, a leverage type situation if that's what's happening here. Just like Jimmy says, he's like, you just want to like beat the shit out of me legally. If I get in there with you, <laughs> beat the shit out of me. I mean, like, yeah. I think a little yeah. bit, yeah. Yeah, I think, I think that was definitely a big part of it. Howard's just fucking had enough. And yeah, like, I do think he was trying to be kind, like offering Jimmy a job. I've said it before. None of us think Howard's a bad guy. He's done being Mr. Nice Guy. He doesn't know that Kim is in on it, though. I don't. Do you think he suspects that Kim is in on it? 
I mean, or do you now, think he thinks it's all Jimmy? Well, I don't know. He could think that Jimmy is manipulative enough to just somehow set him up to having lunch with Cliff. Mm-hmm. If she didn't know what was going to happen at that time, Jimmy could have orchestrated that. I think that would be such a failure to see him for her true value. She's always shown a great deal of intelligence. It would be disappointing, I think, for Howard to not think that even a little bit she was involved and then maybe he does deserve it if he's still willing to (laughs) overlook her and say like no it's all jimmy that's doing like you could never come up with this plan then like (laughs) then maybe he does need to get whatever's gonna happen to him he didn't say i have a jimmy and kim problem he said i have a jimmy mcgill problem jimmy problem yep yeah. I mean, we know yeah. for whatever reason, Howard doesn't like Kim. For that reason, he might think she's involved too. Just thinking ill of her because he just doesn't like her. I don't think Howard dislikes Kim. I think he respects her the same way he respects Jimmy. He thinks that she's a go-getter and she's super good at her job. I just think that he had, she she made him angry a few times. And so he, at Chuck's behest, put her in the cornfield and all yeah. this. He feels like a paternal figure because he helped her come up through the ranks and He helped her pay for her schooling and he helped her get through law school and maybe it it meant like a big brother feeling. And so like he wants to help her with Jimmy because he thinks that Jimmy's the one behind it and he wants to help Kim. Yeah, I could see that too. Yeah, yeah, I could see it being like almost like he expects so much out of Kim too that like when she does something that is against whatever he wanted her to, like that he has higher expectations for her. So he like overcorrects. Yeah. I think he truly feels that she could do better than Jimmy. There's no way that good, oh, sweet, he has no smart, idea. brilliant Kim is, <laughs> is the one doing all this. It's all Jimmy. Yeah. Oh, what little you know, Howard. <laughs> right. <laughs> we were asking the other day, does Kim really love Jimmy? And in the scene where she's standing on the balcony and he pulls up in the car and she sees him get out and she just has that sweet little smile like she's happy to see him i think she really does love jimmy she's just not gonna let him get in the way of what she wants yeah yeah his his priorities right walking dead (laughs) your husband (laughs) your dogs yes um (laughs) so husband and dogs are like right like right here (laughs) i've been thinking since we first posed that question and then also since the Lalo is alive thing the fact that she doesn't tell Jimmy kind of reinforces the idea that she really loves him to me because she wants to protect him maybe it's because she thinks he's weak maybe not but in a way to me it's like I just want to keep you safe and protected because I love you so like it's kind Mm -hmm. of solidified that idea for me I don't feel as much like "Mm," because for a minute there I was like I don't know about this but I'm starting to feel a little more like there there is genuine love there, even if it is a lower priority. <laughs> <laughs> There's also a little parallel to season five when they're on the balcony together and Jimmy sets the beer bottle on the railing and just leaves it. Kim just stares at it and she grabs it and walks away. And when at that time, they're talking about Saul Goodman. It's right after he takes the job from Lalo about Crazy Eight. And he comes home and he's like, Saul Goodman just had the best day. And she's like, yeah, great. You know, she grabs the bottle and walks off. <laughs> but in this scene, when she sees Jimmy get out of the car and he's obviously not had the best day because he's holding ice pack on his face, she drops her cigarette in the beer bottle and she leaves it sitting on the railing. One of those little touches that she's she's very much flipped her script since season five on the subject oh, of Saul yeah. Goodman, especially. It always makes me so nervous when they when they set their bottles on the railing like that. I'm like, it's going to fall over the edge. I mean, obviously, we know they don't care because we saw them, like, throwing them down into the parking lot. But every time I'm like, oh, my gosh, it's like the tiniest railing ever. I'd be interested to see if Kim would be sweeping up the glass this time then. <laughs> this Kim might just leave it. That's what you pay rent for. <laughs> I don't think so, but sure. So now... <laughs> So now we know where the I'll fight for you Albuquerque line from Saul Goodman comes from. The judge that they're asking about is Rand Casimiro. I froze on his page and read when they had the magazine and read about it. I didn't see anything that was particularly stood out to me or anything. Except for that mustache. Am I right? (laughs) Right. They were talking about the mustache. And they said something about it being less face. (laughs) So what do you guys think that means? 
So I didn't even pick up on anything fishy until the second time. And then when he made that comment, that's a lot less face to deal with or something. Mm. Are they, is he going to try and dress up as this guy and like try, <laughs> like try and be him someplace? Like, is he going to oh like God. go to Sandpiper and be like, well, ladies, I think we should settle. Like, <laughs> I'm your kind judge. <laughs> I picture, yeah, I picture him wow. dressing up as him for some reason. <laughs> Yikes! I did not even put that together. <laughs> I did not even a little bit. I thought it was more like, "What a sorry son of a bitch this is." Thank God he's got less of his face showing. If it was like that. <laughs> <laughs> immediately i think of like face versus heel right which is like wrestling terminology for like the good guys versus the bad guys so yeah. in my mind i kind of thought oh it's like it's less face he's like not as is good <laughs> i don't know why that's what that's what like clicked in my head i personally have no idea i was kind of with you rachel like what are they gonna like try, try to dress up as him or something but oh my god i feel like they're gonna have something much better than that in store it also seems like it's going to be something that's much darker than they've done before because they turn off the light and they lay in bed and hold hands and kim is like you feel bad for taking howard up on his offer because you know what's coming next mm -hmm. and i can only think that it's it's something that's going to be just the whole tone at the end of the scene was very dark and foreboding i i couldn't even venture a guess as to what they have coming with as much less face mm -hmm. i don't know <laughs> much less face <laughs> oh, it's weird i feel like with this show whatever we theorize they're going to come up with something better <laughs> something more way more unexpected why waste our time <laughs> right i mean it's not what we're here for <laughs> so then the next scene is gus they sneak mike into the house in the back of the little lady's rav for poor mike Poor Mike. I'd be very uncomfortable for Mike. You know, that's just oh. how he's entering every time. <laughs> Is that way? I'm like, oh, mm -hmm. man, Mike. He got out and he's like, oh, I feel that. I know that. he's popping and cracking his voices. I like the detail that the garage door windows are taller than Mike. So even when he gets out of the back of the car, nobody looking in through the garage door windows. Do you think so? Because I was looking at that very closely and I thought to my and I thought to myself, I feel like this much of his head was like not much, but like because I was definitely paying attention this time. <laughs> <laughs> this time. Yeah. I thought that they looked like it was just a little bit above his head so that people couldn't look in. But that's just difference okay. in perception, right. I guess. Yeah, well, I mean, the cam the camera angle was kind of higher, so I guess it was my perception could have been off a little. Mm. Perception. Everybody sees something different, right? It's part of the yeah. fun of the show. <laughs> that, it is a word. <laughs> you said I, it felt like, like I, said, that... I felt like I said it wrong. <laughs> so I had to say it again to make sure it came out right. <laughs> Weirds. <laughs> Weirds. Gus and Mike in the in the bathroom, and, and Mike is like, you know, we wanted you to do this so you could get some rest, and it obviously just isn't working for Gus. First thing I thought was like, so he wants to move down into the super lab. Like, how is that gonna work? How are they gonna keep like a body double around all the time and stuff like that? But after watching him wander around in there for a few minutes, three times, his <laughs> ultimate plan is to somehow lure Lalo down there and and try to kill him. Yes, but which route will he pick? in his killing because i was like what is he doing with the extension cords and stuff he's just looking at different ways like well i could maybe electrocute him or choke him with this and let me hide a gun here so I, like it was just it made me laugh like to think of him being like because it was so serious but it was like too serious you know what i mean where i was like this is ridiculous Oh, yeah. my favorite was how he dramatically picked up the paper cup and threw it away. I'm like, what is he doing? What is that? Where did he find that? Did someone leave that in? There? And then he just throws it away. And I'm like, holy shit, I am getting so amped up for nothing. <laughs> <laughs> he thought of it as a potential weapon and then realized it wasn't going to work. <laughs> I'm going to paper cut him to death. No, that will not work. This, throw it away. this one isn't glass. It won't work. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think with the putting the gun in the 
treads. I'm thinking part of it was he wanted to get that gun off of him anyway, and this maybe like this was also a, an excuse. As mm-hmm. you could tell, he did not like wearing that on him at all. Mm-hmm. Lalo and Marguerite. Congratulations, and... Sharon D, for calling this one. Yay! Bow to you the totally queen of Better Call totally Saul. Totally nailed it. About fucking time I got something right. <laughs> I don't think there's a whole lot to say about this other than I was terrified for the dog the entire time. Mm-hmm. Marguerite, like, I was like, yeah, I'm scared for you, but, like, I am really, really worried for the dog, so please don't hurt the dog. Yeah. Yeah. But I guess they didn't want to, that would make Lalo too much of a monster. Like, you can you can kill the little kids and stuff. We're all good with that, but don't dare. <laughs> don't you dare touch a dog. dog. <laughs> <laughs> they confirmed it on Insider that they're going to, he's going to use the label to track down the guys who bought the piece. The other thing I was thinking was, Marguerite said that she got cards and stuff from them, so you'd think that they would have addresses and such mm. on the cards and mementos that she had received, but... Well, only if she kept the envelope. Right. Yeah. She looked. He looked through the cards, and there was no addresses or anything on them. I wonder who placed the order for the measuring device thing, because right. that'll obviously be who he goes to first, and most likely who right. will die first. Yeah, it's not going to be the one that I hope <laughs> it would be, that jerky one. Kai. Kai. It won't be him. He wouldn't have the forethought and the like tenderness to get a gift for uh, Warner's wife. It might be because Warner um, might knock some respect into him when he's let him go in the desert. (laughs) (laughs) Dave had a whole list of stuff he wanted us to mention. First thing Dave said is Fring's fed up with waiting for Lalo to pounce so his plans to lure goad him into what will eventually be the meth lab. Yeah, so he's saying the same thing. You just said that. Sharon D did. Yep. (laughs) Yeah, the gun is stashed there for him to t- to make use of, as he'll be disarmed by Lalo. Ah, yes. So Lalo will take him down there, thinking he doesn't have a weapon. But ha ha ha! <laughs> I've got so many weapons down rest- here. <laughs> Dave also said this lab will ultimately be Lalo's resting place. So he said the same thing you did, burying him underneath mm-hmm. the lab. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. The boxing fight should be kind of looked upon as Howard's last ditch attempt at giving Jimmy a chance at burying the hatchet. It's a lot like Max giving Pamela a chance back at the Commonwealth for the sake of their working relationship slash friendship, which leads me to three. I came to a stunning realization. Howard and Jimmy are two sides of the same coin. Howard operates in the light. Jimmy operates in the dark. Howard is what Jimmy could have been, and Howard even sees that and admires that, which is why he wanted to give him a shot. It really is evident that the Sandpiper meeting in the way Howard commands the room, much in the way Jimmy slash Saul typically would has in prior episodes i actually took notes on something similar to that after chuck dies hhm is kind of falling apart Mm. and howard's falling apart and jimmy comes in and tells him you're a shitty lawyer but you're a great salesman so do it and get up and sell the thing is jimmy is a great salesman too because to be a con man that he does you have to sell yourself and sell the, the con so dave is absolutely right they are two sides of the same coin they're both fucking salesmen just one is selling Good stuff, and the other one's selling a fucking line of shit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Did he have anything else? He says, like everyone on this show, these characters are always given an escape route out of the madness they end up choosing. Even Howard loses it in his attempt to namaste with Jimmy to bury the hatchet by boxing him when he hires the private investigator. I knew I wasn't wrong about that one, says Dave. Not me. That's Dave, not me. <laughs> you can say they... You could say that he has to do this to prevent the sabotage of Sandpiper, but it may ultimately suck him into the depths and cause him to break bad. Ooh, good insights, Dave. Mm-hmm. So the next episode is called Axe and Grind. Ooh. 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 Mm-hmm. Not Axe to Grind. Axe no, Axe and, and Grind. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And the book that I mentioned that Kim is writing in. Oh, yeah. You do yeah, get a better yeah. shot of it in the preview and it is definitely written in code and that book is definitely in the box of things that are in the no value box when they're cleaning out saul's house they throw no value box box. how dare they but that is yeah they open it and they're like what is this what is this gibberish Mm -hmm. (laughs) so there's at least one sign of kim in that house yeah Hmm. well that in the interesting stopper Mm -hmm. stopper i felt like more was like a memento Right. Well, the book could be too. Maybe he's still trying to break her code. 
could oh he's probably trying to break it he's oh my gosh probably he was like me and rachel and he was like it's wingdings is this is gonna be easy <laughs> did, did it work I'd, I looked at some of the symbols and I was yet. like, I was like, that's not wingdings. I don't yeah. know that. Yeah, I couldn't, I couldn't make them out clearly enough no. to, to even no. make an attempt. I'm gonna, I'm gonna wait for the next episode. You said there's a better shot, so mm. I'm gonna grab that and see what I can do with it. Mm. And I almost forgot today. Today, the day that we're recording this is Ray Seahorn's birthday. Happy Yay! birthday, Ray Seahorn! Happy birthday, Ray Seahorn! Thank you for making Kim such a fucking awesome, amazing, badass character. For sure. Yes. You're giving us the gift on your birthday. So thank you. <laughs> thank you for joining us. Have a great night. And we will see you next week for Axe right. and Grind. I'll do my outro. Bye. Bye. I'm Bridget. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> thank you for making it to the end of another episode of better squawk saul our coverage of better call saul's sixth and final season i've been your host david cameo and i was joined by cosmom09 rachel burt sharon d aka blazing gardener and survivors tier member bridget x prophecy girl on twitter and ain't my first rodeo on instagram and if you made it to our sixth episode of better squawk saul covering better call saul's seventh episode of the sixth and final season titled plan and execution you were also joined by aiden atkin at aiden underscore atkin underscore on instagram and at aiden the raven on twitter if you like what you heard head over to rate this podcast dead. Leave us five stars and an eggplant to let us know that you love us, but we're going to need a little bit more than that from you guys because Better Call Saul, that's a new thing for us. We want to know what you liked, what you didn't like, whether we should just stick to the Walking Dead universe, or if you want much more of this to come, use it as a means to communicate your desires after every episode. And if you leave your social media accounts, we will tag you when we post this review on social media. And if you really, really want to be involved in how these episodes shape out, you want to support the podcast, all you need to do is create a free account on ko-fi.com and follow us at ko-fi.com slash squawking dead. You don't have to buy us a coffee for 30 days of supported back content, which includes the ability to download our unedited episode recordings or stream them. You don't have to join a membership tier for as little as a dollar a month, which includes discord access, as well as a whole host of baseline perks. All you got to do is follow us. It lets you know when we record, when we drop our unedited episode recordings, and when we think of a new idea that we want your feedback on. It's the only place we post these things. We don't post these things on social media. And speaking of membership tiers, we'd like to thank both our Survivors and Whispers tier members in that order. Among them include, of course, Bridget, Girl on Twitter, and Ain't My First Rodeo on Instagram, who joined in these episode breakdowns, as well as at Jones 71 on Instagram and at JonesAJ6 on Twitter, at RealRyanGM on Twitter, Jasmine, at Jasmine.IAC on Instagram, and of course, FanArtLindy, ko-fi.com slash fanartlindy. And let's not forget our Whispers tier members, who include, of course, at Aiden underscore Atkin underscore on Instagram, and at Aiden the Raven on Twitter, at RitasFan2 on Instagram and Twitter, at j 13 Voorhees on Instagram and Twitter, at Sandy.D.Morrison on Facebook, at FrostedAngel67 on Twitter, at TylerPhilipCox on Instagram and Twitter, and of course, at Judith.Morton on Instagram. I'd like to thank you very much for making it to the very end of this podcast and for always listening to squawking dead we hope you're enjoying this and we'll see you in the next one